Well, it's great to be up here with you this morning. Uh, this last week was Thanksgiving. Uh, I hope you all had a great, great week with family and friends. I know for myself, I got to enjoy seeing some childhood friends that I grew up having Thanksgiving with every year, and I hadn't seen all of us together in about 10 years, so that was a, that was a blessing for me. And uh, got to spend Thanksgiving with my family. My sister came up from San Diego, and then got to spend the day with my wife's family. So it was just a, a crazy, busy, happy week, and I hope you guys we're able to have the same. Uh, but there's another thing that happens the week of Thanksgiving, a little thing we call Black Friday. Uh, do I have any recovering Black Friday shoppers this morning? Any recovering? No, apparently they all come to the early service then. That's it. That makes sense, though. Um, I did Black Friday once, and, and that was more than enough for me. Apparently, being an anxious person with frantic shoppers doesn't go well together. I... So I, I've decided to step away from, from that holiday. Um, but I do feel like Black Friday is the gun going off to start the Christmas season. And uh, it's really just kicking off the Christmas chaos. Because of this chaos uh, that can be found around the holiday season, we often focus on the hallmark moments of Christmas. So much that there's now an entire film genre devoted to it. The Hallmark Christmas movie. Um, every year they seem to grow in popularity and in the amount being made, which is ironic because they're pretty much all the same, if you really think about it. Uh, exhibit A. If you look on screen, I have eight completely different Hallmark Christmas movies. There's something about them that seems eerily similar, but I, I can't quite figure out what it is. Uh, one might notice the theme of green sweaters, predominantly on the men, and red mainly on the women. Or maybe that every photo has the green sweater on the left-hand side. In fact, I'm, I'm rocking a green sweater in honor of this series today. Um, uh, do I have any Hallmark movie fans? Any Hallmark Christmas movie fans? Yes. And then there's the cliche, but who gets suckered into watching them, but then secretly still kind of likes them too? Raise your hand if that's you as well. Um, here's the thing. I'm not going to lie and pretend that I don't love these movies. I'm not even the husband that's like, yeah, I'll watch them with you. I'm like, yeah, let's watch one. What are, what's on? Uh, I love Hallmark Christmas movies. And in fact, I love them so much that I'm going to share with you my top five ingredients to making a great Hallmark Christmas movie. Number one, there must be a successful person who's lost their way and the meaning of Christmas. Number two, there must be two polar opposites that find love with each other. Number three, bad acting. Um, number four, a lot of unnecessary smiling. Um, and number five, a former child star from about a decade ago, or a former sitcom stud. Um, I have such a great handle on uh, these movies that I'm actually thinking about creating my own and sending it to Hallmark. Um, tell me what you think. I call it the nap before Christmas. Uh, I, my, my price, asking price is really high, so I'm not sure if they'll buy it, but we'll see what happens. Um, 
With Christmas only weeks away, we have this tendency to focus on the hallmark moments of the season. But as we go through uh, this series, we're going to explore how God is usually up to something bigger than what lies on the surface. Today we're going to be starting in Matthew chapter 2, verse 13 through 18. Uh, our scripture reader for, for the day is Willie Bachma. So if you could all please stand up and face the center of the room, I'd love to uh, get in God's word and, and see what he has to say today. Matthew 2, verses 13, the escape to Egypt. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and left for Egypt where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious. He, and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under, in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. Thank you, Willie. Go ahead and take a seat. Our passage today picks up right after Mary and Joseph were coming off of the epitome of a hallmark Christmas moment, the birth of their baby boy, Jesus, and of course, the visit from the Magi. Life probably felt great, but it wouldn't last long. In verse 13 of our passage, Joseph is instructed by God through a dream to hightail it to save the lives of their, of their new baby, because King Herod was searching to kill Jesus. Mary and Joseph sure didn't get along time to enjoy their uh, hallmark moment, did they? In verse 14, Joseph doesn't take God's instruction lightly. He immediately gets out of bed, and he takes his family and leaves until they stand uh, till the death of Herod. Now, many times when I read this story, or when I read any story in the Bible, I have a tendency to, to, to put these biblical characters to a higher standard than myself. But the fact is, these people were, were human, like you and I, and probably would have a similar gut reaction to what we would have in a situation like this. And when I, when I initially read this, my first takeaway was how obedient Joseph was. Right? How obedient was Joseph just to, to do what God says in a dream? But as I peeled back that layer and tried looking at it through the eyes of being just like him and being in that same situation, I saw the story a little differently. If you haven't heard, my wife and I, uh, this last month, welcomed our fifth and final Vreesman, Louisa Ann Vreesman. Um, I got a little picture of her up there. 
she was kind of like, Brett, what picture did you pick? I was like, I'm sorry, that's the one I had on my phone. So hopefully it's cute enough. Um, having a baby in the mix has painted this story a little different for me. It's reminded me of a few things. I now add the element that Joseph was the dad of a newborn and that he was slightly sleep deprived, most likely, which I can relate to personally. And then I thought of Mary as a newly breastfeeding mother recovering from having a baby. And I cannot relate with that, but I feel really bad for her. Um, when, when, I, when I look at it this way, it gives the, the whole vibe of a story an extra level of chaos. There was always one level, but now I see a lot more discomfort. I see a lot more irritability, panic. They're trying to get out alive to save this baby, out of town to save this baby's life. I would also argue if Mary and Joseph were anything like myself and my spouse, or like many of you, that traveling creates another level of anxiety. And uh, there might have been a few altercations along the way that could have uh, made the, the whole ordeal a little more stressful. I think it would be really interesting to be a fly on that donkey and just like listen to what the conversations that were happening on the way to Egypt. Now, although Joseph uh, did obey God, and that is very crucial to this, I'm going to guess that he, he followed so swiftly because he was in such fear, because he was scared, he was just trying to survive. Imagine the uncertainty that was going on in their heads right now. They didn't know what the future was going to bring. They had fear that their child was going to be killed. And throw on top of that, they had to go to Egypt and create a brand new home for themselves. With everything Mary and Joseph had going on for them, they were just trying to survive in the midst of the chaos. Now, most of us around Christmas time are just trying to do the same. Survive. Maybe it's all the party commitments, financial troubles, grieving the loss of loved ones, or just generally being overbooked. It is one crazy time of year. But the reality is, for most of us, is every part of the year is a chaotic, crazy time of the year. I would guess that routinely, many of us are living in chaos. Many of us feel like our circumstances are out of our control. A question we might ask is, what is God trying to do through my chaos? The majority of this passage has a somewhat chaotic vibe to it. If you still have your Bibles open to the passage and want to follow with me, I encourage you to do so. In verse 13, it says first that Joseph has a dream that tells him that Herod wants to kill him. A little bit chaotic. In verse 14, Joseph abruptly gets up out of bed. I don't know if you guys have ever been woken up quickly. Like It's not a great feeling. There is a, an intensity to that moment as well. In verse 16, Herod gives the order to kill all the boys under two years old. And in verse 17 and 18, there's talking of weeping and great mourning. 
It is a pretty intense passage in its nature. But amongst all the intensity, in verse 15, it says, And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet. Out of Egypt I called my son. This verse doesn't seem to blend with the general tone and vibe of what's going on around it. Now why would this quote be put in the middle of what's going on? I don't think it's a coincidence. I think it was God trying to tell us something in Joseph's chaos. What if, while we're in the midst of our craziness, much like Joseph, God is trying to speak through our chaos? Or God is trying to show us something through our chaos? I'm going to guess that Joseph didn't know that God was trying to make a profound point while he was going through what he's going through. He was probably just trying to survive. But God is always up to something bigger. Verse 15 was quoting a portion of scripture taken from Hosea 11.1, where it said, Israel was a child. I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. Hosea 1 is referencing the Israelites and their exodus from Egypt. God refers to Israel as his son. But there's someone else who is God's son, and that is Jesus. Could God be trying to show us a correlation between Israel and Jesus? When we start to compare these two stories of Israel and Jesus, it gets really interesting. Now humor me for a second. There can be many ways to look at this, but I want to take a look at it from one perspective. Where um, looking at some of the selective snapshots of Israel's history in Genesis and Exodus, I want to compare it to the story of Jesus. In Genesis 37, we're introduced to a man who has special dreams in which God communicates with. His name is Joseph. Very good. Thank you in the back. Yeah, I appreciate you. Um, Joseph eventually brings his family to a place called Egypt. God then wanted to free his people from Egypt. So he demonstrated these great wonders. And one of those wonders involved the firstborn of every Egyptian uh, being killed, except for the obedient Israelites who followed God's directions, who were obedient to him. And after leaving Egypt, Israel was in the wilderness, where they had many trials before they were able to enter the promised land. Does this sound somewhat familiar? If you compare the snapshots in Israel's history to Jesus' story, you'll begin to see many similarities. The similarities are both have a, G, a Joseph who, uh, through dreams, is able uh, to, has dreams and, and leads them to Egypt. Both have a mass killing of children. Both have the children of the obedient being spared because they were following God's directions. And both have many trials in the wilderness at one point. But where the similarities begin to differ is in the wilderness. You see, Israel continually struggled in the desert. 
they many times didn't pass the trials that were given to them. They, they failed with flying colors. But when Jesus is tempted in the wilderness, shortly after the story we find in Matthew, he conquers the trials. He doesn't give in to temptation. And ultimately, after his trials, he lives a perfect life and enters the promised land. In the midst of this crazy story about Joseph, Mary, and Jesus fleeing to Egypt, God is making a very profound point to us. In the middle of the chaos, God's telling us that Jesus is Israel's redemption story. He's saying that God's son is living out Israel's story the right way. Joseph had no idea that in the midst of all the chaos, God would be using it to make this profound, profound point that Jesus was the Savior sent to make all things right again. And I would argue that maybe in our lives, we have no idea that there could be a profound point being made through our chaos. Earlier I shared that we often hold biblical characters to a higher standard than we hold ourselves, but the reality is they're just like us. It's important that we don't forget that in this story. And that we remember, as I said, Joseph, just like us, had profound things said in his chaos, and that happens in our lives too. If, if I can be a little bit honest and vulnerable with you, this last month has been pretty chaotic for me. I, I found out in October that my, my 93-year-old grandma, the only grandma I ever really had, uh, was actively dying. And so that was, I mean, it, we were ready, she's 93, but, we were, but it, was, it, was, it was a weird time where everything was up in the air. Uh, we were just kind of playing the waiting game, not making any plans. But throw on top of that, I was also eagerly awaiting the birth of my baby girl. And uh, so there's this level of, of grief, uh, a bit of perspective, and also some anticipation, all fighting against each other. I just kept praying that somehow it would all work out, that, that I would be able to kind of have my cake and eat it too, that I could go to my grandma's funeral and still not miss my daughter's birth because there's no way I was going to miss that. This created a huge layer of anxiety in my life. A level of chaos that I just kept waiting for one of the dominoes to fall so, so I could get a little bit of comfort, a little bit of relief. Finally, on Wednesday, October 30th, as I was scrambling to get ready for the harvest extravaganza, I got the call which call uh, my grandma had passed. And so now my head was in a different space. I was happy that she was with Jesus. I was grieving because, uh, you know, she was, I have to get used to this idea of her not being on this earth. And then I start worrying about, okay, well, what about the funeral? My wife hasn't had the baby yet. What am I going to do? And sure enough, three days later, my wife has the baby. And it was one crazy week uh, full of different emotions. 
here's the crazy thing. As I was going through all of this, God was working in my chaos. Here's something interesting. As I was going through all of this, uh, God coordinated that I would be teaching a sermon series for our students on anxiety. Isn't, isn't that interesting? And isn't it interesting that I was approached by Pastor Chuck and Pastor John that same month, and they told me I would be preaching on a topic of God being up to something in my chaos. The funny thing is, God was telling me something through my chaos. He was telling me that he was doing something in my chaos. It's, it's, it's kind of interesting how that worked out for me. But I didn't know it at the time. When I was in it, I didn't notice it at all. But what I had to do is I had to take a step back. And I had to look. I mean, God, how have you shown up in my chaos? And sure enough, I could see his hands at work when I, when I took that step back. And I think uh, whether you're Joseph, myself, or you guys out here, uh, maybe it's important that in the chaos of our lives, we take a step back sometimes and see, is God some, trying to do something through all of it? And when I did that, I had this sense of hope. And I think you guys can have that too. When we take a look back and we see God working in the chaos, we can have hope knowing that he's got a great plan for our life and is going to do something bigger than what we see happening right now. Once again, sometimes we just have to take a step back. Because often in the midst of a story... Uh, the people in the midst of a story experience that story differently than an observer does. I'm sure we all have some chaos in our lives on one level or another. Maybe it's the birth of a new baby, the death of a loved one, marital struggles, conflicts with friends, financial struggles, work stress, school, all the above. But God is working in the midst of it. And that should give us hope. Maybe it's time we take that step back, take a breath, and see what God's doing in our life through the chaos. What could God be trying to say or do for you in your chaos? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for allowing us to come together this morning to worship you and to get in your word. We thank you so much for the birth of Jesus and the impact that that has on us eternally and for the rest of our lives. God, I, I pray that during this sometime chaotic season that you can give us peace knowing that you have a plan through it all. Lord, help us to be able to look back and to see how you've been working through our chaos. We love you so much, and it's in your holy name we pray. Amen.
let me leave you with this blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Amen.